Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. When my wife Betsy was a little girl, her parents and grandparents were at a restaurant together. It's a memory they share. It was a fun little dinner that turned into an all-hands-on-deck mission. Betsy, being just a little baby, began crying at the top of her lungs. In moments, her parents figured out what was wrong. She had lost her binky, that is, her pacifier. Both parents and grandparents began searching for the binky as her cries intensified. No one knows quite how it happened, though we know maybe they caused the stress. But Grandma found the binky and thrust it into Betsy's mouth. And Betsy cried on. For Grandma, in her stress, missed Betsy's mouth and landed the binky in Betsy's mom's mouth. Fortunately, everybody was able to laugh. Sometimes high stress can cause us to do things that we did not intend. Have you ever had a moment of high stress and ended up doing something you did not intend? For me, when I have a stressful week, sometimes it ends up with me putting the peanut butter in the refrigerator, or worse, ice cream in the pantry closet. And I've been known on particularly stressful weeks as a pastor to find myself pointing my car keys, that, you know, remote clicker at the church door, trying to get them unlocked. Uh, So far, they haven't worked. And I have realized usually within about 10 or 15 seconds, I'm doing, I'm using way wrong keys here. Perhaps most dangerous for us is that when we are stressed out, our patience is low. Many of us can find ourselves with what we call a short fuse. And the times we find ourselves in now have put everyone into a place of high stress. The way our jobs work have now cha- has now changed. The way we shop, oh, that's changed too. Our social workers have defi- our social circles have definitely changed, and the way we consume news and information has changed. The normal pressures of life are there like they've always been, but now there's a sort of universal stressor that's blanketing across everyone. And in times like these, we have to watch ourselves. We might say something we regret. So be careful to not let your stress push you somewhere you don't want to go. And that brings us to James, because today we move a little further into the book of James. James speaks to Christians about how they are to conduct themselves. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Those are great words to live by. We could spend a ton of time talking about listening and anger, but James goes deeper than this. He wants us to encounter the righteousness of God. And you and I cannot encounter the righteousness of God as long as we are trying to produce righteousness on our own. So beware. Let's read the text. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. As I mentioned last week, James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I gravitated to it as a young Christian because it's very direct. I could read it and say, oh, okay, I'm supposed to listen more and speak less and work on my temper. I'll I'll do that. 
And that's a fine way to read this book. But every time I come back to James, I find that what I read as a young man is only a little bit of what God is trying to tell me. Now, this is true of the whole Word of God. Every time you read the Bible and allow God, you have to open, read the Bible with an open heart and mind and allow God to speak into your life, you will find something new and gain new understanding. For me, it seems like this is more extreme when I encounter the book of James. There have been more than a few times when I've read this exact text and then taught just a very simple message that says, God gave us two ears and one mouth, and that should indicate the proportion with which we use them. I think God has a little more to say than that. This time, as I read the text, I grabbed onto a verse that somehow has never registered in my mind. Verse 20, like it was never there. And it reads, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And as I saw those words, it took my breath away. Oh, how many times I have held what I called righteous anger. I saw a wrong and I got mad at injustice. Oh, how many Bible studies I've sat in and I've taught or I have been taught that some forms of anger are good, even if most human anger is not healthy. And I still believe some anger is warranted, but our human anger is far more limited than we realize. And verse 20 tells us this. And people through history have recognized that her anger is limited. Polybulus Cyrus says this, anger always thinks it has power beyond its power. And Aristotle says this, anybody can become angry, that is easy, but to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time, and for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power, and is not easy. Yes, our anger can halt injustice, our anger can shed light on sin, our anger can move us to needed action, our anger can let someone know that we see their plight, but our anger can never produce the righteousness of God. And that leads me to our first point today. When we try to produce the righteousness of God, we create a pale imitation that makes us sick. The only reason James tells us that human anger does not produce righteousness, the righteousness of, of God, is that there are times that we try to produce godly righteousness with our anger. Think about it. He wouldn't say that it doesn't produce the righteousness of God unless we tried to produce the righteousness of God with our anger. If you spend some time studying the book of James, you'll find that the book has much to say about the rich and the poor. And after a while, you get the impression that James is writing about the disparity between the rich and the poor. And this at times became a major point of frustration between Christians and James is offering a warning. If you see an injustice, be careful of how you react to it. And that is where verse 20 comes in. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In moments when we see something that is wrong, we want to make it right. We want to produce righteousness, but we cannot. Even the very best of our anger cannot produce the righteousness of God. I think our best anger can bring good. It can bring justice. It can bring relief for those who are suffering. But that is different than the righteousness of God. If we are really honest, most of the time when we get mad, and this is a sad truth, we produce self-righteousness, or at least we want what's right for me. We are being warned. 
Be careful when you try to produce good with your anger. It can go sour quickly. G.K. Chesterton says this, A Puritan is a person who pours righteous indignation into the wrong things. Who would have thought that in 2021, how full our world would be of Puritans, but they are everywhere. You name the issue of the day and there's someone willing to pour righteous indignation into it. You don't have to go far to find the kind, that kind of anger in the plight. You don't have to go far to find anger at the plight of the poor. You can find anger when you see a person taking advantage of another. There's anger over racism. There's anger over suffering in Afghanistan. There's anger at human selfishness, at ugliness, and lovelessness. History is full of all kinds of people who did terrible things in the name of holy anger. They meant good, but it turned out so sour. How can I be so sure that her anger is so misplaced and so helpless? Aside from James 1.20 telling us it is, even the very best human anger cannot produce genuine redemption, genuine restoration, and genuine life. Not eternal life, not wholeness the way God has designed it. Our anger might make us aware of evil. It might make us aware of injustice. It might tell us that, that something's just wrong. Our anger might move us to act, but at some point we must leave behind anger and let God move in and bring about his power and majesty and redemption. For all of our efforts, we cannot produce the righteousness of God. At very best, we can let Jesus work through us, but we cannot produce one bit of righteousness on our own. What is the righteousness of God? Is it the goodness of God? Is it the holiness of God? Is it God's justice? Does God's anger produce righteousness. Righteousness is often defined as right standing, and often in the Bible it means right standing before God. The righteousness of God is what gives us that right standing. We cannot make righteousness on our own. God must produce it for us. I have a lot of scripture to share today so that you can go and look and read about righteousness and the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 through 17 tells us this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul is speaking of the gospel, and through it, God brings us salvation. And Paul tells us that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It saves us. Romans 5.21 tells us this, So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through the righteousness, through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 3:22 through 24 says this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God is his redemption offered to us by Jesus. The righteousness of God is what allows the forgiveness of our sins. It is what allows us to grasp at the good at goodness and justice. The righteousness of God is the restorative power that we all hunger for and want to see at work in our world. 
Beautifully enough, we are invited to become carriers of the righteousness of God, missionaries to our world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20 and 21 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, meaning Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. James is telling us that for that to happen, we have to let our old self go and let God work newness into us. Today I've shared James 1, 9-21, but it clings to the heels of verse 18. James 1, 18 says this, If his own, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The Christian has the promise of being a new creation, a kind of first fruit. But to do this, we must put aside the old self and stop trying to produce the righteousness of God ourselves and let the implanted word work in us. As long as you are trying to produce righteousness, you will only make yourself sick. Don't believe me? Turn on the news. It's full of issues. And most of those issues have two opposing sides trying to bring about righteousness, and it only makes us sick. Turn on social media. There's a great clamoring for compassion and caring and justice, but all social media grandstanding produces is sickness. Take seriously James 1, 2. For the anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. So what are we to do? Fortunately, James creates a sandwich of scripture for us. The center of that sandwich is that warning. We can't produce right the righteousness of God, but above and below are slices of bread where James gives us instructions. And the first one is this. If you want to unleash the righteousness of God in your life, you need to get out of God's way. Now in James 1.19, that verse that we read, it can now find its proper place. Christians, if you want to realize the promise of becoming a new creation, a kind of first fruits, you have to let go of your former way of living. And so James rapid fires a set of three commands. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. All of these commands are with the design of letting go of our old self and letting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do the work of new creation in us. Be quick to hear. This is not just about listening more than we used to, but realizing our place before God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 say this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So it's both being quick to hear and slow to speak, which is that second one. Be slow to speak. And Proverbs ten nineteen tells us, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Now, the very next verse is a place where I see God's sense of humor. And, well, not just his sense of humor, but it's my secret if any of you think I'm smart. There in Proverbs seventeen twenty-eight, it says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. So be quick to hear, 
Be slow to speak, and then finally be slow to anger. Proverbs 14.29 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. We could say much about anger, but it does not take much to see how many, see so many of us, we do selfish things, we do self-righteous things, and we do silly things in our anger. There's a story of an elderly monk in his community, how he used to show his displeasure with other monks in a highly creative way. As you may know, most monastic communities chant the Psalms every several times a day together in chapel. Well, if this elderly monk was angry at someone every time the word enemy came up in a psalm, as in deliver me from my enemies, he would look up from his prayer book and glare at the monk he was angry with. Ah, what a silly thing to do and a petty thing to do. These scriptures are words to the wise, but when we let the Holy Spirit work this in us, we are unleashing the righteousness of God into the world around us. James continues with what must be gotten continues with what must be gotten out of God's way in verse 21, that second part of the sandwich. We are to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. If you're stuck in life, stuck in your relationship with God, maybe there's something you need to put away, something you need to surrender to God. If you have someone in your life that you want to have experienced the righteousness of God, the first step is to be quick to hear, then slow, then slow to speak, then slow to anger, and then put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. These are barriers to our receiving the righteousness of God. But then... Beyond that is the true second part of what James says. He says, get rid of these things, get rid of the old self. But then there's my third point. If you want to unleash the righteousness of God in your life, you have to let God do only what God can do. James tells us in the last part of verse 21 that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We could go on and on about the implanted word and what it is, but it is more important to see that transformation and redemption is done. It is is more important to see that transformation and redemption are done by the power of God worked in us. We do our part to confess our sin and tear down what is keeping us from letting God in. But there comes a point where God must do the work. Just as our anger cannot produce the righteousness of God, only God can produce His righteousness. And only He can work that righteousness into us. When I was a young boy, my father read to me the Chronicles of Narnia, a series of stories by C.S. Lewis. Every night for weeks before he went to work on the night shift, I would lay in my bed and he'd lay on the floor and read a little bit more of the story. My favorite one was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's a lovely adventure of discovery, of sailing journey. In this story, there's a character named Eustace. He's a miserable cousin to Edmund and Lucy, who've been to the magical land of, land of Narnia before. Eustace is spoiled. Eustace is mean. Eustace is miserable, and he does not even know it. Eustace does not listen. He speaks too much, and he speaks out of turn often, and he's angry all the time. Kind of like what James talks about. Eustace is rotten. But in the book, he goes to a transformation, literally and spiritually. On one of the islands that they visit in the story, Eustace sneaks away to avoid work, and he finds treasure. He puts a gold bracelet on his arm, and he falls asleep. And when he awakens, he's become a dragon. 
At first, Eustace has fun terrifying his cousins and companions, and then he realizes afterwards that, well, I can't continue the journey with them if I remain a dragon. And he doesn't want to be left alone. He doesn't want to be left on the island. He's miserable now, and he doesn't know what to do. There's a character in the story that represents Jesus. His name's Aslan, the lion. And he appears to Eustace. And he asks him to wash himself and to peel his dragon skin off so that he can become a boy again. And so Eustace does wash himself. And he does try to peel his dragon skin off. But he's still a dragon underneath. Eventually, Aslan says to Eustace that he will have to let him do it. And here's how the text reads. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought I, I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than everything anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. The end result is that Eustace becomes a boy again. He couldn't do it on his own. He may have tried, but he wasn't really willing to go as deeply as was necessary. Now, Eustace, he had to be willing. He had to be willing to let Aslan do the work. He also had to be remorseful of his mean self. He had to realize that he needed transformation. And in the same way, there reaches a point where we have to let God in and work his righteousness in us. Are you willing today to surrender and let God do a new work in you? Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will. And always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go with Jesus.